The following podcast contains spoilers and words like and gosh Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. Uh, as usual, I'm Topher, with me is Billy. How are you, sir? Mate, I'm exceptional. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, thank you. Yeah, that's good. What have you been up to, bud? Nothing much, mate. Nothing much. Nothing? You still watching a lot of movies, or now that sport's back, are you, are you more sportsing? Uh, kind of easing into sport. There's nothing that I'm particularly invested in happening, but really at this point, if someone's kicking a ball somewhere in the world, I will watch it. <laughs> well, it's like I've, I've discovered the Food Channel and I've been watching this thing called Carnival Eats where this guy just goes around like different county fairs and stuff and just eats Dagwood dogs. And, <laughs> like, I was going to say, this thing just sounds like a marathon of corn dogs in the mouth. <laughs> no, like honestly, he there, there is some really, really cool food. The, the other day he had a Tadakan burger, which I know it sounds kind of strange, right? But there was like chicken mince- um, turkey mince and confit duck all kind of smooshed into a patty. Mm. And I know it sounds gross, but you know I love carnival food. So, for me, it's just like corn dogs right up my alley. So mm. That sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. But we're not talking about corn dogs or, or ball kicking this week. What are we talking about? Talking about uh, bad education. That's right, a new release finally, mate. We got a treat. something. A new release in 2020. Who'd have thunk it? What's Bad Education about, Billy? Well, Bad Education is a black comedy drama film directed by Corey Finley and written by Mike Mikowski. The film is based on the true story of the largest public school embezzlement in American history. It's adapted from an article in New York Magazine by Robert Kolker, and it stars Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney, Geraldine Viswanathan, Alex Wolfe, Raphael Casal, Stephen Spinella, Annalee Ashford, and Ray Romano. Part of the- at, at this point, are we willing to call it the Romanaissance? Are we in it? Are we, <laughs> we, are we experiencing it? We absolutely are. You know how much I love Romano. And I love that the very first voice you hear in this film is Ray Romano. Because the second I heard it, I didn't even know he was in the film. But it's so recognisable. And as soon as I heard it, it was like, yes, I get to crack out my Romano impersonation on the show again. I thought you'd be excited. Deborah, <laughs> This education is bad, Deborah. <laughs> Everybody's favourite woolly mammoth. <laughs> I'm a mammoth, Deborah. <laughs> you just let me know when it's all out of your system. Billy, you do not sound like Ray Romano. <laughs> your bloody sister, mate, just barged into my studio to tell me I don't sound like Ray Romano. Well, that's that's just cruel. Well, she'll never be on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm all about the reminiscence. I like I've always loved him, but he was outstanding in the big sick a couple of years ago and ever since he's just been kicking absolute goals and I love it. So yeah, the Irishman last year, we get of course Oscar nominated film as was The Big Sick. So if Bad Education receives at least one Oscar nomination, which I would say is likely, then Well, I mean, how how many other films are there going to be this year to compete it, with it? Yeah, it's like it's it's Bad Education up against Bloodshot. Isn't I mean, it? It, <laughs> that's right. It's like best, oh, although best supporting actor, Guy Pearce or Romano. I don't know which way I'd vote. <laughs> I would vote for the one not in Bloodshot. <laughs> I'm sorry to my guy. <laughs> yeah, but he really deserves an award for dating the enemy. So, 
<laughs> we need the, the retrospective. He Oscars. just needs a career award. <laughs> um, the first thing we hear is Ray Romano's voice in an opening to this film, which I really dig, where he's introducing Frank, who is Hugh Jackman's character, and he's coming out to an audience, which is just the local community at the high school. But it's like it's a it's a rock star introduction. It's it's the kind of the muted version of. Bradley Cooper coming out in A Star Is Born. Yeah, absolutely. And I love you think about the juxtaposition of the scene of the way that he is so immaculately preparing for this, like in a middle school bathroom, like the the care he is taking, how much of a rock star he really believes he is. And the very first shot of the film is actually the football stadium. And at that point, when you're hearing Ray Bulldogs voice, yeah, well, do you reckon that there's an American school out there that doesn't have the Bulldogs as their mascot? Because if TV and film has taught me anything, it's all Bulldogs. Because the Dylan Panthers aren't real, so we scratch them off the list. <laughs> the rest of the Bulldogs, as far as TV and movies have taught me. <laughs> but um, yeah, I really love the way that it then scales down from there. Because when you hear Ray Romano talking, you see that stadium, you're kind of expecting big things. And then by the time he walks out into this school or auditorium after you've seen kind of the janitor walking through these empty halls as he's preparing in this bathroom it really does it puts you in this state and it's a really smart opening to the film it's good because it feeds the audience a bit of information just through romano's introduction but also it's just a great introduction to the character who my word thinks the world of himself he does and it almost it's funny the film is interesting in that if I was to ask you whose point of view is this film from, do you think you would have an answer? I would, but that answer might change depending on when in the film you ask me. Yeah, and I think that that, to me, is both the film's biggest positive as well as its curse, is that it? there are times in the film where I feel like it doesn't really know exactly what it's doing. And there are times, particularly, we'll get to it, but I think the chemistry between Jackman and Janie is so good. That when Alice and Janney's character completely drops out of the film, you, you do feel it. And there's a big shift about halfway through there where it does kind of turn. But I would say for the most part, it's, it's from Jackman's perspective. And as you say, this intro really tells you a lot about who this guy is to the point where you don't think about it at the time. But later on in the film, he has a fantasy which is very similar to to this opening, and it almost makes you wonder how much of this even was being built up in his head. Yeah, I, like totally bang on in regards to Alison Janney, who, as you know, I think is just a living treasure, and in anything that Janney is in, I'm going to want her to be on screen more because I'm yeah. in love with her. Yes, <laughs> um, and their dyna- like their dynamic is great when they're on screen together. And in the opening minutes of this film, their f- and like their first couple of scenes, it almost set like you kind of. I thought I was probably watching almost a two hander. Yep. At that point, and was really not prepared to lose my Queen Alice and Janney for the second <laughs> half of the film. Absolutely, and it's almost like there's no real reason to lose her other than her part in the story is deemed done. By that point, as the perspective has well and truly shifted to, but and and even then, it still doesn't become his story because there are huge elements with the student who is investigating. There are there are elements with other people who take the focus, 
But the storytelling has decided that he is the focus at this point of the embezzlement. And so she's no longer needed. She's been caught. The interest is gone. And it's a real shame because, yeah, I would have liked to have seen more of them handling this together. Because the film, interestingly, like you think of most films of this nature, they start at the start. Usually they show you the rise and the fall. It starts with how did this embezzlement begin? Was this something they had planned? Did it did it just kind of happen? And then you see it fall apart. This film really starts at the end. It, it's really just about the unraveling. And it is a shame because you reach the point where she's been caught and they've had wonderful chemistry up to that point. She comes into the office the next day, tries to talk to him. He says no, and they never talk again for the rest of the film. They don't have a single scene together from that point on. And you kind of feel left in the lurch as a viewer, really. You, you, don't, you don't really see what happens to her then until the end of the film. <laughs> that, for me, is like, just aside from my own greed with wanting more Alice and Jenny in my life, that's the shame for me, is that by the end of the film, when, we, when it brings up just text on screen that, that she- Which pl- is very small font, by the way. <laughs> oh, was it? I had trouble reading that. <laughs> I don't recall struggling with it, but okay. Good okay, note. okay, Mr. Good Vision over here. <laughs> okay, 2020 over here. Um, by the to- yeah, by the time we find out that she pled guilty, there's, there's no way for us to know, okay, was that just because that was going to be the least amount of trouble she was going to get into? Yeah. Or- had this character grown in some way and there'd been, you know, some sort of catharsis. Like, we, we just don't know. Yeah. Back to Hugh Jackman. <laughs> yes. Who, and getting back to Hugh Jackman, I've, like, I've probably gone on about my love for Alice and Jenny enough. <laughs> um, Jackman's fantastic in this film. Excellent. He's he brilliant. really is. Yeah. He really is. And he, there's something about Jackman that can be so charming, but he really can pull off sleaze. <laughs> Well, yeah, so this is, for me, kind of an interesting companion piece to probably the last Jackman film I saw, The Front Runner, where he's gotten to this point in his career where he's known as such a likeable person that he can now use that persona to flip our expectations with the characters he's playing. Because even early on in this film, in that scene with the, the mother and child where he's seemingly, like, really helping out this kid and doing the right thing by him, it's he's also... It, like, he's self-aggrandizing in that scene as well as doing the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting. That's another weird choice the film makes is that for the first 30 minutes of this film, and it's not a long film, that's basically a third of it, there is zero mention or notion of embezzlement. It's really just setting up kind of what a stand-up guy this dude is, how how much he cares about the school, how much he cares about the students. He remembers them years later. He- like, it, it spends a lot of time focusing on how great this guy is. It almost puts you in the mindset of one of the students or parents from this school at the time who probably did think, hey, we're fourth in the country. Things are amazing. This guy has really turned our school around. We love him. And then kind of all of a sudden, you're like, you're dumped into the unraveling. And it's it's a really smart move. And it makes sense when you find out that the film was written by a former student who was a student at the time that everything kind of broke. So, yeah, I do like the way that it puts you in that mindset. And in some ways, that's the perspective of the film, really. Yeah, it's, and it's a good scene when he's... So, when the embezzling kind of comes to light and he's talking to the school board, while you don't, as the audience, like, we're not meant to side with what he's saying, but... I think it is also meant to give you a moment's pause where you do have to think, 
is he is he at all right in what he's saying about yeah okay but if this happens and if this comes out yes we all lose not just not just us in the room but the school and the community and the you know the dominoes will keep falling and you're like oh that's a good point before you kind of get back to yeah but it's also just plainly wrong yeah. and criminal <laughs> And I think that also comes down to the interesting perspective is that I don't know how you felt, but at that point, it was kind of a bit murky to me as to as the viewer, whether we are supposed to suspect that he's involved or whether we're supposed to think at that point that it is just Janny's character. Because obviously I knew like I didn't know a lot about the story, but I knew that it was both of them. And. I, I was left there wondering, is this supposed to be a bit of a surprise here? Like, are we supposed to still be thinking he's a really great guy here and and that Janny is the bad egg, I guess? And the problem with that, I think, is that then it kind of, as a viewer, dumps you in the lurch even more when her character does disappear. A thing I think is good about that is that, what, like, like you, I knew that he was a part of it. That was one of the few things I did know about the story just from hearing about this film generally. I think a good thing about that is that for viewers and like when you're adapting anything, you've I suppose you've got to try and service both people that know the material and those that don't. If you don't know the material, at that point, you don't know that he's doing it because he's also guilty. It could just be because he's so obsessed with what he's done and how like how his standing has grown yeah. that he doesn't want to let that slip. Because as we know, he's an incredibly just a, like a stunningly arrogant person. Yeah, that's true. I'm a fan of the look of the film. It's done in in this really kind of naturalistic, like stunningly unglamorous lighting plan, like throughout the film, where a lot of it, because a lot of it's happening in schools, which for the most part, pretty unglamorous looking places. And a lot of it's just this really top down, stunningly unflattering, muted colours, really kind of almost like they're framing it as a fly-on-the-wall documentary in terms of just the look of the film. Yeah, definitely. And one thing, again, that I, that I think is really nice there is that, as you mentioned, it's a kind of naturalistic look, almost documentary feel. Like, it's a very intimate film. Which I think plays off really well against how much time Frank puts into looking really good. And yet, for us, the viewer, never looks very good. Like, as bad as you can make Hugh Jackman look. That dyed black hair, you're like, mate, you are not pulling this off. <laughs> yeah, you're not <laughs> like, pulling anyone. Like, you look like sleaze. Like, it feels like if you look up sleaze in the dictionary, you'd see a picture of him. If I didn't know the story was set in 2002, you'd think it was 80s. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like he went from Wall Street to the yeah. public school sector. <laughs> yeah, like the, like the guy from Futurama. <laughs> Definitely sleezed his way to the top. Definitely got bonitis. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's a it's a it's a smart choice in the ways they decide to do that. Most films, particularly ones based on true stories, and when they're going for that kind of very uh, grounded, realistic, in-your-face look, it's not just the lighting. They don't stop there. They they do the the shaky cam, the documentary look. This film completely stays away from that. And as much as the lighting is quite naturalistic, the look of the film itself is very polished. You can feel that it's it's all very decisive in what it's doing. Yeah, it's really careful in its framing. Um, you think of scenes like where they where Frank and the board confront Alison Janney's character and the way that the characters are framed in that shot. Yes. There's there's clearly been clearly just a lot of thought put into the composition of shots, which 
it could almost be jarring in terms of how plain the look of the film is. But it, I certainly didn't find it to be. No, not at all. I, I really loved the look of this film. The the look, the direction, the humour all very much reminded me of one of my favourite films, Election, which is another another school film. And that's another film that really doesn't shy away from, you know, not looking great. Um, but I think, yeah, when you're dealing with settings like schools and when you're dealing with, you know, the kind of black humour that the films are, I think it works really well. Can I tick off a, a little bit of Billy Bingo here? Please do. Can I just say how great I thought the score was in the film? I'm guessing you didn't notice it. <laughs> You're going to have to enlighten me. Okay. Well, I feel it's probably not a bad thing you didn't notice it. Because one thing I really loved about it is how how well it matches the vision on screen. You can tell that it's very purposeful. It was really well composed. Lots of staccato, lots of dun, 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 like short, sharp notes that really highlight the vision. And, and it's kind of, you know how like when you hear the Curb Your Enthusiasm theme- in itself, as a piece of music, it's funny. The score for this was kind of similar. It's funny sounding. It's really well composed and well written. And I was a big fan of the score. Like, I I would be happy for this to get a Best Score nomination. I mean, at, Like, who knows what else is going to come out. But it was very, very good, I thought. Well, we know this film's going to get Oscar nominations because it's got Ray Romano in it. Well, I mean, absolutely. Best Supporting Actor right there. <laughs> Guys on a tear. <laughs> yeah. I can't believe, shockingly late, that we we haven't even discussed Geraldine Viswanathan yet. Our second greatest export behind Hugh Jackman. We both loved from Blockers a couple of years ago. She was clearly the standout star of that. And, uh, I mean, that wasn't a fluke. She was fantastic in this film. She's really good. She is very funny. She has a great sense of timing. Like, she doesn't have a lot of funny lines or things to do in this film but she's just got a natural presence she's really great and i do love the kind of i mean the kind of poetry of the fact that the reason that she does uncover this is because she's pushed by frank yes and yeah there's always something just very enjoyable about the villain of the piece being hoisted by their own petard yeah through frank trying to be really great at his job which like he clearly actually is when he's just doing his job. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. that's part of his downfall. That and being a, just a massive crooked asshole. <laughs> yeah. And to me, that again is one of the, the shames of the film and the way it shifts perspective is I don't think it really pays enough attention to that moment or that arc of the story, which, as you say, is really quite powerful. And, and that scene is great. And the moment he gives that advice- you as a viewer are already going, oh, well, that's his downfall. She's she's discovering this. And I do kind of wish that it had given a little bit more play to that, I think. I do love- This is maybe my favourite moment of, the, of my favourite scene of the film is when it has come- When her article has been published, but he hasn't seen it yet. And he walks- We have the Steadicam shot where we, we walk into school with him. We find out as Frank finds out that something's happened- why are these people looking at me? What the <laughs> shit is going on? Yeah. And he's so arrogant that he still doesn't put it together. Yeah, Tig, he starts off the day, you know, coffee in hand as as entitled as ever. Yeah. And then what the shit is going on? It's a great moment. Yeah. So it sounds like we're both on the whole positive. How are you scoring this? Yeah, I like I enjoyed this film. There's very little about it I dislike. I thought maybe after an hour I was like, okay, well now this now this story needs to go somewhere. It felt 
I thought it got mildly bogged with when he started going to Vegas and I, I mean, and as you said, it's not a long run time. I wasn't like totally into every minute, but like I'm nitpicking there because most of this film I really enjoyed. Um, strong, strong seven out of ten. Yeah, yeah. I, I I really, really struggle with my scoring of this one because I'm the same on a surface level. I'm like, I almost want to go an eight, even a hard eight, because I do think that what's good here is really, really good. The cast is so strong. The writing and production is great. The biggest weakness for me, as I said, is is the story and the structure and the way the perspective shifts. And for me, that's enough to drop it down to a seven. Because I, I really felt it when the Janny character was was pushed out and I, I just kind of wish that there was a bit more of a solid overarch to the film. But that being said, really enjoyed it. Strong recommend from We Watched a Thing for Bad Education. Um, I'm guessing we have no idea what we're doing next week, buddy. Or do we? Do we? If you check out them interwebs, I think you'll find that there is a Spike Lee film that comes out on Friday. A Spike Lee joint. Indeed. Net, his, his new film for Netflix, To Five Bloods, is oh. about to drop, my friend. So I think we should do it. I think we definitely should. You know I'm a massive Spike Lee fan. Do the Right Thing, one of my all-time favourites. Black Klansman was my favourite film of, of that year. I'm, we get yes. it. You're not a racist, Billy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you you finally watched Do the Right Thing recently, did you not? Yeah. Uh, like, you, a, like a few months ago. I had never seen it. I was very disappointed in you for watching it because that was, you keep doing this to me. You make me pick these awful films <laughs> for my throwbacks because all, the, all of the really good films, you know that I love them and you haven't seen them, but you decide to watch them before I get a chance to, you know, you did the same thing with 12 Angry Men. I have no sympathy for you. None. <laughs> You've known that I hadn't seen Do the Right Thing for years <laughs> and yet you kept picking Sphere. <laughs> And reindeer well, games. Well, so they how are important are you films like, to discuss in the zone. Come guides. to the wrong house for sympathy, my friend. <laughs> All right. No, I'm I'm keen for that. That'll be that'll be a lot of fun. All right. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can get bonus episodes and early access to episodes and all that kind of junk. You can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing. And we'll catch you next week. Watch a movie, folks. We're all good. Doesn't matter, buddy. Deep breaths. It's all right, Bear. Calm down, big guy. Sun's going down. Sun's going down.